This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and I really hope this improves my life. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to talk about attraction and dating. Where should you go on a first date? What should you talk about on a date? And is it possible to make two people fall in love? Please, please share your secrets. I know you've got secret powers. I can pay. Let's get on with the show. What makes people attracted to one another? It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's complicated. There's a lot of research showing that similarity attracts. And I always think there's something about authenticity. So a lot of this research is about, you know, using these tricks, using these hacks and so on. I think there's a fundamental truth about being yourself, because presumably, if you want to have a relationship, you're going to be there for the long haul. There's no point pretending you're somebody else and then having to live that lie. So I'm a big fan of authenticity. Which is interesting because a lot of the dating advice that is out there seems to be variations of trying to trick the other person Mm. into believing that you're not exactly your authentic self. You're a either better version or, I don't know, different version. So I guess uh, we should have a kind of creepometer uh, yes. on the table that we can press for if we feel we're straying into dodgy territory. I think so. I mean, it is the whole psychology of love and attraction is a little bit strange. I mean, one of the very first studies, and this was carried out, uh, Lane Hatfield is a fantastic researcher in the mid-70s carried out this work, which involved men and women walking up to people on uh, university campus and saying, I find you very attractive. Will you go to bed with me? And what they found was that when a woman approached a man, the man was quite likely to say yes, about 75% of men said yes. And when a man approached a woman, hardly any of them said yes. How attractive was the man, though? They were, they were match-attractive Really? Yes, okay. apparently. Uh, now, I don't know where that stands on our creepometer. It's, it's a curious one, but it's one of the very first studies in the area. And also that inspired the song by Touch and Go, which is called Would You, which actually made it into the UK charts. I bought it. Really? I own it on 7-inch. No, oh. what's the bigger one? 12-inch. Right. <laughs> that's important. Uh, my date chat. That's my date chat. Actually, it wasn't this. It was a different... Uh, there's not many songs that have been inspired by psychology. There's one by Peter Gabriel, which is about Milgram's shock study, very famous one, which is called uh, We Do What We're Told, Milgram's 37. 37 referring to the number of people that went up to the full XXX on the shock machine, which we'll talk about on another episode. So it's quite rare for psychology to get into popular culture. I want to do a whole episode on the Milgram experiment because I've heard so many tales and counter tales yes. of that. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, probably not good for a first date. Depending on what they're into. Uh, so that's some of the research, but we're not going to be touching on some of the creepier stuff. Instead, we're going to be looking at some very simple ideas that can hopefully improve your love life. Okay, let's talk dating. To kick things off, we've got a question from one of the hosts of First Dates, the podcast. Hi, Richard. Hi, Marnie. It's Frankie Bridge from First Dates, the podcast. Every week on our show, we hear some outrageous and brilliant dating stories. But what I want to know is, what is the best venue for a first date? Very good question. So you might think it's best to go to a quiet restaurant or something like that. But the research is quite the opposite. And this is to do with the way in which we interpret our physiology. 
So physiologically, you can be on a scale between not very aroused and very aroused. So basically, heartbeat and so on. Yeah. Can I just check what aroused means in these circumstances? It doesn't mean that active might be a better word. Physiologically, (laughs) you can be not very active, slow heartbeat, uh, or quite active, high heartbeat. But And that's a physiological thing. Then what happens is we decide how to interpret that emotion. And that's a cognitive thing. That's a that's to do with thinking. And so I use this all the time. As a speaker, if you're standing in front of an audience and you think, oh my goodness, heartbeat's going a little bit, you can interpret that as nerves, which then is not great for your self-image and can lead to all sorts of problems. Or, old actor's trick, you can interpret it as, I'm very excited. I'm excited to be here. And now it, it causes less of a problem. So you've got this kind of cognitive overlay on top of the physiology. And that's helpful in terms of dates, because when we meet somebody we're attracted to, uh, our heart starts to beat faster and so on. And if you can therefore find a venue where that's going to happen, people then interpret it as attraction. So you might, and this is based on research where, for example, a quite bizarre but famous uh, experiment by Donald Dutton and uh, Arthur Aaron, where you had two bridges over a ravine, one low bridge, very safe, one high bridge, and uh, had men walking across it. They then encountered a uh, female market researcher. You did market research, and then the female researcher said, oh, if you need to call me for anything, here's my number. And more men on the high bridge called her than on the low bridge. And the theory was because their hearts beating, they're a bit more active because they're on a high bridge, swinging around, and they interpret that as, oh, I found this woman attractive. That's the theory. That's the theory. Okay. But hang on. So you can use this two ways. If you, if presumably if you're going on the date with the person, there's already been some sort of finding them attractive, unless it's a blind date, I guess. Yeah. I, I think the idea is you go somewhere that makes their heart beat faster. So they... Find you. So they'll interpret that as, oh my goodness, this was due to me, yeah. to me find this person attractive. So um, there's been work where people leaving scary films, couples leaving scary films, more like to hold hands oh! than if they're uh, leaving uh, not so scary films. You go to couples who are getting off a roller coaster and you show them pictures and say, how attractive do you find these people? And they find the people more attractive because they're just all excited after getting off the roller coaster. So it's a very bizarre idea, but it does suggest on that date, go somewhere where you're going to get the heartbeat. So, so maybe a scary film. Or you know, a roller coaster. A roller Frankie, coaster. Frankie, we're going roller coaster. There's your answer. It's the obvious choice. <laughs> I love some of that work. One of the papers is actually called Love at First Fright. Oh, that's very good. That's a lovely title. Psychologists spend a lot of time on trying to scare people, don't they? It's, it's sort of haunted, some of them do. haunted houses, yes. spiders. What happens to your brain when you do this? Yeah, there's there's a lot on the psychology of fear. There's a very famous experiment from the turn of the last century where you sat down on a chair and you're just about to fill out some kind of questionnaire and the chair just shot backwards and essentially dumped you behind in a, in a kind of heap. And they were photographing people's expression of fear as they went backwards. Strangely, uh, not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> Some sort of ethics code. I know, I know. I I was doing a programme about uh, the amygdala and uh, panic attacks, Mm. and I discovered about this patient, SM, I think, because they use initials, and there's a woman who doesn't seem to have a fear response, and I discovered that scientists had done everything they could think of to try and make her feel fear. And so there'd just been this troop of scientists taking her to the haunted house or troop of scientists taking her on a roller coaster. Are you scared yet? No. How about now? No. What about this massive spider? Boo. No. Really? No, nothing. Nothing at all. Well, they 
um, managed to induce a panic attack in mm. her by just getting her to breathe in elevated levels of carbon dioxide, which is the classic way that if you breathe in the same amount of oxygen and more carbon dioxide, your body thinks that you're suffocating. So she had an absolute doozy of a panic attack. That doesn't sound good for a first date. <laughs> it's not. Don't do that. So speed, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, so roller coaster's that, good. So roller coaster's good. We've had a question from Frankie's co-host, Cece Coleman. Hi, Richard. Hi, Marnie. It's Cece Coleman from First Dates, the podcast here. I wondered, what should or shouldn't you talk about on a date? So I, it's a good question. Years ago, I did some research into speed dating, where we looked at the lines that people were, and we should say with speed dating, if people aren't familiar with it, that you basically spend three minutes talking to a stranger and then you move on to somebody else in the next three minutes. In our experimental session, they rated how attractive they found the other person, but also wrote down uh, the chat-up lines, or at least the lines that people were using. And that allowed us to find some of the the kind of more effective lines. Right, I'm just going to get my pen and take notes here. Okay, here's some of the uh, not quite so effective lines. I have a PhD in computing. Four. Yeah. My friend's a helicopter pilot. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I quite liked that one. <laughs> I, I, so tell me about yourself. Yeah, my friend's, my friend's a helicopter, helicopter pilot. pilot. Yeah. I'm one degree of an interesting human. Here is our top line, uh, which I'm going to ask you. If you're a pizza topping... What would you be? Ooh. That stumped you. That has stumped me. If you were a pizza topping, what would you be? Artichoke. Why? It's delicious. Have you ever had an artichoke pizza? Yes. It's really good. <laughs> really? I make them all the time. Really? I mean, I'm assuming that I get the basic tomato sauce. Am yeah. I only allowed one pizza topping? I think I have two. Okay. So, I mean, tomato and cheese, obviously. Yeah, obviously. That's, that's a given. But artichoke and Ge- black olives. Oh. And pepperoni. And that's three you've gone for already. Yeah, but artichokes, like... It's quite a weird combo. It's delicious. Try it. There we go. And the reason why that works is because it forces people into an unusual conversation they probably haven't had before. And it's just a kind of fun way of finding out about somebody. Okay, so I had something quite similar when I lived in Amsterdam and my friend and I used to gate crash parties. We would ask people, just because... You know that you don't want to go, so what do you do and how long have you lived in the Netherlands and blah, blah, blah. Mm. We'd ask, if you could only have one cheese for the rest of your life, Mm. what would it be? Right. And so... Brie. Brie. We've had this discussion before. We have. I've explained why... I've explained why you're wrong. You can't put Brie on a pizza. No, I don't really like pizza. Oh, God. I hate artichokes. Oh, my Lord. I'm never coming around your place for artichoke pizza. Terrible. If I am, I'm going to bring my own brie. This is te- well, you hate pizza anyway. That's true. So the point was that we were supposed to be just finding out something about the person in a way that avoided the usual boring platitudes of what do you do as a job. Exactly. And with speed dating, that matters because you're doing the same three minutes again and again. Right. So our other one was that there's a well-known show, TV show, where you dress up as a celebrity and perform some music. If you were going on that show, who would you dress up as? Elvis. Why? Because he had really cool rhinestone jumpsuits. There we go. I like a big collar. (laughs) Yeah. That's what you look for in a man. (laughs) I mean, yes. Can I ask who you'd be? Barry Manilow. Really? Mm. Uh, What about the Barry Manilow look appeals to you? Everything. (laughs) Everything. Actually, the reason I like... Isn't he a bit more tangerine than you are? Possibly. Um, But I think that's the whole point of dressing up. I've heard him interviewed many, many times, and he always comes across a very nice man. Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, I can't name any of his songs apart from Well, Club in the Tropicana. next episode, I will sing all of them to yes. you. That's going to be the entire episode. Excellent. Um, so that's one of the things, is to have this, these open questions. The other is to find out things you disagree about. Ooh, okay. So some people think other things to do is find out what we agree about, but actually finding what you disagree about actually normally leads to more interesting conversations. And it's how you handle the interesting conversation. Absolutely. You find out whether that person's reasonable or whether about to go off on one, whether they're prepared to be a little bit more open and flexible about their beliefs. So it's kind of an interesting one. It's a bit counterintuitive. So back to my cheese example. Yes. It was supposed to be a great icebreaker. It actually went quite wrong because my friend ended up having a lot of fights with people where they'd say, I don't know, halloumi. And she was like, no, the correct answer is a strong, medium strong cheddar. Why would you possibly, you can't put halloumi on a pizza, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't melt, blah, blah, blah. There we go. There we go. So exactly that is you think that may not be somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with or indeed the next 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it did break a lot of parties. The other one which we looked at was also in terms of what you do for an occupation and how sexy people find that and also what you do for hobbies and sports interests. So what percentage of people, this is true of both men and women, want to date a clown? I'd say no percent. (laughs) I'd say no percent of men or women. (laughs) You're very clear, four percent. Yeah, okay. Four percent. And they're the ones with the clown fetish. I seem so. (laughs) I seem so. It's the big shoes. Um, so that was right. the 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 sexy thing. Um, being a climber was seen as quite sort of sexy and, and desirable. Okay. What wasn't again both sexes? Um, golf. Being into golf that puts you down there in yeah, clown territory. I think that's fair enough. Yes, if you were a golfing clown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a disaster. <laughs> disaster. That's what been going wrong all these years. <laughs> I've I've tried to work out again with the same friend. We were like, let's make up professions. Mm. She was like, what are you going to be? And I was like, I'm going to be a DJ. And then she said, that's pretty much what we already are. (laughs) Oh, yeah, good point. You've spent a bit of time doing this, haven't you? (laughs) A long, tragic history. I could probably go on Cece and Frankie's podcast and tell them all about it. So Cece was asking about what topics you shouldn't and should talk about. Is there anything you should definitely avoid? I don't know. I mean, you, you don't want to disagree a bit, but you don't want to fundamentally disagree. So I guess all the classic ones of, of sort of religion and politics and so on, unless you're really into those and find them fascinating. Uh, but I would tend to always stick on the kind of fun end of stuff if it's a first date you want to be there thinking is this a person I want to spend time with and normally that's it am I having a good time here so actually for me kind of avoiding the more serious end of stuff but that's maybe just me You're listening to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. And in this episode, Richard is sharing top tips about the world of dating and attraction. And we've had a question from Edward King, who said, Recently, I remember a popular study that was all over the media on how to make someone fall in love with you. It involved asking questions and looking into their eyes for a certain amount of time. What's the science behind this study? There's a lot of science behind it. Is it good science? I hope so, because I wrote a book about it. Okay, good. Uh, So I wrote a book called Rep It Up, which was all about the way in which you act influences how you think and feel, not the other way around. So when you're happy, you smile. But if you put a smile onto your face, you feel happy. There we are. You're doing it now. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. And one chapter... Does that work with laughing at your jokes? No, there are limits. (laughs) Okay. So what's interesting is that there's a whole chapter of that because it's quite a long strand of research into does that work with love? 
because we all think this love is, you know, you meet somebody and you fall in love and so on. But if you behave as if the two of you are in love, do you find the other person more attractive? Lovely, lovely work on it. So some of it by Daniel Wegner, who's done some great work. Uh, he took couples. He said, you're going to be playing another couple in poker. And these two people didn't know each other in the couple. You're going to be playing another couple. But I can take you aside and just tell you a little bit about the game before that you start. The two of you, and this is when they're taken aside, the two of you are going to be cheating. And the way you're passing a code to one another is you're tapping each other's feet under the table. So it's a way of getting them to play footsie. Oh. without anyone realising this is about love. Okay. Does that. They go and have the poker game. There's the two of them tapping feet under the table. And it turns out those couples find each other far more attractive at the end of that poker game than couples that haven't been doing that. Is that the foot touching or is that the shared joy of cheating together? Could, could be anything. Could be anything. Or the other couples will be cheating together but using other, other means. Gotcha. So there's that. There's other work by Robert Epstein. Uh, which was about staring in each other's eyes and hugging each other and so on. And my work into it was about speed dating, which is how you take some of that and put it into a little bit more comfortable scenario. So we had people come along for the speed dating session. We said, this is an unusual session because you're going to be playing games. You're not talking about yourself. You're going to be playing games with one another. And one of the games was about an extrasensory perception task. So you make a drawing. I make a drawing. And then you try and transmit it to me by staring into my eyes, and I try and transmit it to you by staring into your eyes. Clever. So and you've got them to stare at each other without yes. them thinking this is about Absolutely. Absolutely. And we had all these couples doing it. People loved it. People loved it. And so they'd be there staring into each other's eyes. And we got a much, much higher response rate in terms of wanting to see people again after the, uh, the session. So that was one of them. The other work, which is based on Arthur Dutton's work, was what's called the sharing game. Uh, before, yes. did they manage to transmit the drawings? No, but no. That, no, no, not at all. But okay. what became interesting was that they then had to draw what they thought the other person had drawn. Mm. Then they compare drawings and it all gets very silly because one person thought of a house and then they drew a dog. And so they have a laugh over comparing oh, it. Oh, we laugh. Oh, we laugh. Now but we're married with it, kids. <laughs> so, so suddenly it's not so funny. Um, <laughs> so that, that worked very well. The sharing game, which wasn't our idea, but we used it in the speed sessions, was that you avoid small talk, actually, and start to ask people quite intimate questions. And because you're behaving as if the two of you know each other very well and find each other attractive, it kicks off those same feelings. And that's called the sharing game. So you've basically gone past the small talk stage. Absolutely. You've fast-forwarded to the proper chat. That, that's right. So, so we, normally in the sharing game, you sort of work your way down. So you start off with a, a very standard question. So you imagine you're a host at a dinner party. You can invite anyone you want who's at your dinner party. I mean, you, obviously. Obviously, yes. And then you just leave me in the house and go out. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, to a pizza restaurant. Uh, and then you move down to describe one of the happiest days of your life. Okay. So people think about that, start mm -hmm. to talk about that. Then you move down to what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you. And then you ask them to describe an issue, personal issue in their lives, and you offer them advice on it. And the two of you talk about that. So you're moving down this hierarchy. And it's one of the best predictors of people finding each other attractive because you've gone beyond that sort of superficial. And you ask people to be honest yeah. in, the, in these things. And you're starting to talk about real issues quite quickly. It's fascinating work. 
is there a time limit on that? Or are, they, are these people that knew that they were going on a date? So with the original research, you're just taking two people and pairing them up. On our one, what was interesting with the speed dating is the context is you are here to date and to yeah. find people. So they knew that and they were very successful. The problem we had, and I've run lots of experimental speed dating sessions over the years, the problem we had was stopping people playing these games. Because on a normal speed dating, I'll be honest, it's pretty dull. You're just selling yourself for three minutes, saying the same thing again and again. Our one was people playing games. They loved it. They loved it. But they didn't want to swap to the next person. No, no, they, 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 wanted... it was very difficult to stop them yeah. and get them to, to move on. And what's also interesting about the game playing is that sometimes with speed dating, you, you can get matchups where you think, well, I, I really don't find this person attractive or there's a massive age difference between us and that can be slightly difficult uh, territory. But with the game playing doesn't matter. You're just playing games, you're staring into each other's eyes, or you're just asking each other about your lives. And so it takes a lot of the heat off of that. So they were, they were kind of fun evenings. Can we bring in a question from Hannah Jones? This is, I love this because I, I've done this. Why am I more attracted to someone when they're on stage playing a guitar than if I were to just meet them in the street? It's a good question, isn't it? I think we see most well, there's a few things going on. I'm assuming what's in that person's head is a successful guitar player. Yeah, rather than really embarrassingly bad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, actually, that's true, yeah. So, so we like high-status individuals as mm-hmm. associated with attraction. Any kind of performer at all, if there are crowds behind them, you think, well, this is a whole group of people that like this person. Wouldn't it be great if they liked me? And, and so that's where you get the attraction. What's interesting is, we've all been there, you go on stage and die on your backside. Then <laughs> suddenly, you're not quite so attractive when you come off stage. It turns out people, you know, treat you as if you got the plague. So I, I think it is tied up with success and status. And certainly, you know, in terms of music, in terms of being in front of a group, that's seen, if you're being successful, as high status. So all these little things kind of creep into our minds. But there, there is a huge difference, and this is part of the psychology of, of love literature, between passionate love, which is that I really fancy this person, I find them sexually attractive, and compassionate love, which predicts a long-term relationship. What's compassionate love? Well, I think understanding what really makes a person tick, who they are as an authentic individual, and want to spend your life with them, not... I just want to sleep with them. There are scales that measure passionate and compassionate love. The passionate love always predicts all these things about, oh, they're just really sexy. The compassionate scales predict how successful the relationship will be over time. So get back to your guitar player. That might be a passionate love. My goodness, that's wonderful. It doesn't tell you anything about if you spend a lifetime with that guitar player, whether after a month they start to get on your nerves a bit. I'm just wondering, you know, how you mentioned that clowns and golf rank quite low. I, I think guitar playing might rate higher than, say, if they were playing the bagpipes really competently. Or I'm just trying to think of, I don't know, tuba. Like, if they're a world-class tuba player. <laughs> I'd rather like that. I always like that definition of um, a gentleman as somebody who can play the bagpipes but doesn't. <laughs> well, music uh, rated pretty highly. So about 50% of people said they liked to date a musician. Uh, this is in terms of performers. Um, about went up to 60% for singers and a massive 75% for dancers. What about actors? Actors came in at 60%, so pretty good. It was the ventriloquists, clowns and jugglers that were really struggling, really struggling. So if you happen to be a vent, a clown or a juggler, and you're out on a first date, maybe... Keep that quiet. Just pretend you're a dancer. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, so so these things, they do influence people. But what I find interesting is that 
we think about love as this kind of very nebulous thing. You fall in love or you don't stick together or you don't. Actually, there's a whole psychology underpinning it. And a lot of it's to do with whether you want to or, I don't know, it sounds from that study that Edward King was talking about with the questions to make people fall in love, that this is, it's, it's like a process that you can will yourself into. I, th- I think you have to have a fundamental, I'm open to this, I find this person reasonably attractive and, and so on. And you can give it a little nudge. In that way. And so these things are interesting to psychologists. Hopefully we haven't gone into creepy territory. They're all just kind of fun things that, that people can do. Yeah, let's drag us into creepy territory because, <laughs> Richard, as a single person, what I want to know is, can I make someone fall in love with me? Uh, no, I think it's all sorts of, all these things we're talking about. You know, if you're going on those dates, what are interesting questions about being authentic? Cheese. Cheese. Uh, dressing up as a clown. Tending or, to be a dancer. <laughs> all those things will help. <laughs> I just need to never actually dance, which would give me away. By return to that original answer, which is be your authentic self. If you're talking about a relationship, you know, you're the only person like you in the entire world and you've got all kinds of amazing strengths and abilities and wonderful things. Focus on those and, and have confidence. People, We find confident people very attractive. So be yourself is my general advice to, to folks. Except in your interview. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. So what have we learned? Well, um, you need to go to a place that inspires you or inspires your partner, potential partner, to be excited. Get somewhere where you, your heart is racing. Yeah. Uh, get them to talk about themselves in a fun way. Cheese. Uh, it's <laughs> fine to disagree as long as it's not too fundamental. Behaving as if you're in love is probably going to help the, the whole process. And be yourself. All those things. It's going to change your life. You make it sound so easy. Well, it's a gift. It's a secret power. From Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podimo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.